Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Our kids can head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids. And the rest of you can open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. And as you turn there, I want to share a story with you. I was uh, helping, I was actually teaching a class um, a few years ago here in Boston. It was through um, a seminary extension. We had what was called an equip center. So uh, the the goal of the equip center was to uh, provide theological education on the ground uh, so that um, People in churches, those desiring just to grow in Christ um, or pursue ministry in the future could uh, learn theology and the Bible and what a practical ministry looks like. And so uh, I had the privilege of teaching, a, uh, it was a small, you know, eight to ten students there, uh, you know, only four were maybe taking for credit, and the other four or five were auditing, but just a, a precious time. We were meeting at the basement of Hope Fellowship Church. That was where, you know, we could find a space for, to host this class, and uh, what I remember, I was, it was, the course was on pastoral ministry, and um, there, there's, really, there's really one thing that I remember from this particular class, um, and it was nothing that I said. You know, nothing that I said at all. Um, It had to be based on this idea that uh, for those of us in ministry, and by the way, if you're a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. Amen? Thank you. And so uh, for those of us in ministry, um, ministry requires sacrifice. Ministry requires laying your life down for the sake of someone else. And so I must have been sharing about the call to sacrifice, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus. And as we follow him, we're loving those around us in clear and sometimes radical, sacrificial ways. I must have been talking about that. Because Joel Smith, who's now one of our missionaries overseas, he piped up with an observation from his own life and experience. And he started talking about his own pastor. And he started talking about a need in his family. You see, Joel's uh, sister, Elizabeth, uh, she has Down syndrome. And when she was young, she actually, uh, I guess unrelated to her Downs, but but there was a a need, uh, a physical need where she required surgery uh, that's, as I remember it, was was really like a a, a major surgery. Could have been a life and death uh, situation. And So uh, this surgery was happening four and a half hours away uh, on the other side of the state where they lived. And and when they went in the hospital that morning to prepare for Elizabeth's surgery, the pastor of the church that they had been attending for three weeks was right there in the waiting room, ready to pray with them, ready to sit with them, ready to love them. And in that moment, I said, you know what? I have to start asking the Ken Lewis question. Pastor Ken, where is God calling me to go the second mile? Where is God calling me to go above 
and beyond expectation. And so you can even see here, like this is, this is an actual something that pops up every month uh, in my task manager. Pastors have task managers now. Can you believe it? So many things to do and so many things that, you know, and so this pops up. I remind myself, ask the Ken Lewis question. Where can you go the second mile? Where can you go above and beyond? Where can you surprise someone with the radical love of Christ? And I have to admit, I'm not always great at that. I have to admit, when this pops up, I don't always see an immediate need where there's a calling for a second mile. But you know what? I'm thankful for that story of that faithful pastor so that now it encourages me. And I hope it encourages you to be ready as you follow Jesus to go the second mile. Jesus is going to call us from these words in the Sermon on the Mount to surprise people with selflessness by going the second mile. Surprise people with selflessness by going the second mile. I want us to think about what it means to be two-mile people, all right? Two-mile people as we follow Jesus Christ. So let me read these verses for us, and then we will pick them apart together. Here we go. Verse 38 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said... An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his rain, his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, we pray one more time. And not just one more time. God, we pray. Even as we hear these words, we pray. Even as we leave this place, we pray when we wake up tomorrow morning. God, that you would give us such soft hearts that are responding to what we see in Jesus Christ, that we would selflessly serve other people by going the second mile, day after day after day. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. have three statements for you to consider this morning flowing straight out of what we just read, okay? Number one, two-mile people 
selflessly serve for the, for the good of others. Okay, let me, let me say that again. Two mile people selflessly sacrifice for the good of others. What we have going on here, and let me just by way of review, in case you're just coming into the, to the Sermon on the Mount with us as we're journeying through this longest and greatest sermon of Jesus, um, Jesus is laying out what life looks like in his kingdom. He's, he's showing people what it means to truly follow him. And so he says that as you humble yourself before God and as you recognize who you are before him and as you really desire, as he changes your heart to want to desire to live your life for him, then you will actually live a very beautiful and attractive life. You'll be like the light of the world that others will be drawn to, that others would, would see the way from the way that you're shining the light of God within you. And then he goes on and he gives this, what could be a, a thesis statement in verse 20. He says, look, um, unless your righteousness, the, the, a right way of living that reflects the, 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 the goodness and the, the holiness of God, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So he's trying to help people understand that what this is about is a relationship with God that changes us from the inside out, not external behavior that looks really good on the outside, but flows from emptiness on the inside. That's what was going on with the religious leaders, okay? They were just doing a certain number of religious things, and they looked really good, really polished on the outside, but they weren't doing it because they loved God. They were doing it because they loved themselves, And so now Jesus, we have seen the last two weeks, he gives what some call six antitheses. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Anger, lust, divorce, your word. We covered those the last two weeks. Now he's talking about when you're wronged. And when you're opposed, even by those you would consider enemies. And so what Jesus does here is he actually quotes uh, Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy. And and, and just listen to the words from from Deuteronomy 19, verses 18 through 21. This is what what Jesus is is echoing here in, in verse 38. He says, it says there, The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is the Old Testament law of retribution. In other words, this was given so that justice would be served, listen, in a legal context, in the midst of the public eye, so that justice would be served, but also future injustice would be curbed. It would be kept at bay. And so this is clearly what's happening. It's a legal context that then is also given so that people would see, hey, when, when you do wrong to someone, you deserve to have the same wrong done to you, and that should promote 
not doing wrong, right? And so that was what the law of retribution was all about. But what happened, though, is that people started to use it for personal revenge. So rather than taking someone to court and, 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 and seeing a just punishment leveled, they started to take matters into their own hands, seeking personal revenge. And so it's like if you take my $30 Charlie card, you're going to give yours up. You break up my leg, I break up your leg. And what was going on is this. And maybe I could say if the shoe fits, wear it. When we're wronged, our temptation is to react. You wrong me, I'll react in the same way, and usually not just in the same way, but I'll kind of escalate it just a little bit to to prove that, hey, I'm in control, I'm in the right, you're in the wrong. And so we react rather than Respond. And Jesus says, there's a better way to respond than seeking personal vengeance. And this is what he gets at in a very surprising statement in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, now, now this is, again, Jesus is showing us what life in the kingdom looks like. And so this is, a, this is a surprising statement. Do not resist the one who is evil. But then as we're going to see in these four illustrations that Jesus gives us, is that he actually not only says, hey, do not resist, which is surprising, but then he one-ups it and he says, hey, in a shocking way, even, even do good to those who harm you. Even be generous to them. So let me, be, let me be clear here. As Jesus is internalizing the law, by, by which I mean he's showing the heart behind the law. He's showing the heart of God in, in, in the truths that were laid out in the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament. He, he's helping people see the heart of God behind these instructions, but then also in Christ they're even intensified. He even says, hey, take it a step further now that you've seen my life and you've been set free by what I've come to give you. And so even as he does this, even as he internalizes and intensifies the law, he is not, okay, listen, he is not saying there is no place for self-defense. That's not what he's saying here. He's, he's, he's wanting to keep justice in the, in, in the public realm and, and not personal vengeance. And yet, Jesus is not saying there's no place for self-defense. He's not saying, he's not calling for uh, pacifism across the board. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's saying, he's saying, when wronged, answer evil with good. That's what Jesus is getting at. So Romans chapter 12. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen uh, to me. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. This is what Paul says. Follower of Jesus, leader in the church. Repay no one evil for evil, 
but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's the principle once again. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus is after here. When wrong, when experiencing evil, we don't retaliate returning evil for evil, but we return evil with good. And Jesus gives us four illustrations of how this might look. And and as you will notice, they go from a greater to a lesser severity, okay? The first one he says in in, uh, verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So here we have an instance of physical violence, all right? And what we need to know about the historical context is that for someone to be struck on the right cheek, most people are right-handed, by the, sorry, left-handed people. You know, we love you, and, and, and I don't know if this means Jesus was right-handed or, or what, but, you know, you are who God has made you to be, and you're beautiful. Pastor John, I'm talking to you. All right, so, um, so, so with the right hand, to strike someone on the, check this out, the right cheek it would have been a backhanded slap, which was considered to be more insulting than an open-handed slap. It was to dismiss someone, to say you were worth nothing. And so Jesus says, rather than smacking them back, you take another insult. You're willing to take another insult. And we have to remember that this is what Jesus did for us. This is who our Savior is. Isaiah 50, verse 6, prophesying of the Messiah, says, I give my back to those who strike. And my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus calls us to do what he himself would do when he was crucified on our behalf. And so rather than trading insults, we are willing to lay down our rights to take another insult. And then he goes on and he says, uh, next he says, and if anyone would sue you, again, this is a legal context. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And so a tunic would have been like an inner garment, okay? It's like maybe a shirt, a shirt for us. But, But then the cloak would have been the outer garment and it would have kept someone warm. And so Jesus says, look, if someone is coming after your shirt, you give them your coat too. 
And why this is so radical, again, Jesus intensifying the call of what it means to live a life of love, selfless, sacrificial love like him, is that for someone to give up their cloak was to not only give up their warmth, it was also, if someone was traveling, it would have been what they would have taken off and covered up with. It would have served as their bedding as they traveled. And so Jesus is saying, look, give, give of your best. Don't just give someone uh, like something that, that they're asking for, but, but, but go, the, go, the, go, go the second mile and, and give them your most prized possession. Bear with me. I know this is shocking. I know you're thinking like, there's got to be a catch. There's got to be something else. Like it's going to come back around to us. And <laughs> wow. Then the, the third illustration. Someone forces you to go one mile, go two. And in, in, in first century Israel, Romans were in charge and Roman soldiers had the legal right to at any time call a Jewish person and say, hey, carry my bags a mile. And Jesus says when, when, when that happens, not only, even though it really frustrates you, even though you feel like it's really unfair, even though you feel oppressed when he asks you to do that. Be willing not only to carry the bags one mile, but when he thinks you're going to drop them, you just keep carrying them. You just keep going. A second mile. And if anyone asks you, begs of you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus calls us to a, a radical generosity, a radical sacrifice. And I'm just, I don't know about you, I'm just asking why. Why so radical, Jesus? Like this doesn't, this doesn't even feel like justice. Turn the other cheek. Give them my cloak. Go the extra mile. Give and give and give and give. Why, Jesus, do you ask us to live this way? And I have to believe, I have to believe that as we turn the other cheek, as we give them more, as we go the second mile, as we give again and again and again, we are surprising them in to the very love of God. Wow. What is up with these people? I'm trying to humiliate them. I'm trying to oppress them. I'm trying to take from them. And they just keep giving me more. Surprising people. Shocking their senses leaving an indelible impression in their mind there is something different about them. Oh. All right, Jesus. If you did that for me, I can do that for them. Do you see this? Do you see how radical? Like, God became man. 
That's what Christmas is all about. God becomes man. What's fair about that? Taking on our frailty? The eternal God made everything subject to our human suffering? As we live this kind of life of selfless sacrifice, we're helping people see a better picture of who God, like, is. So, so, so here's the thing, like, we just want, I know you want, and I'm even being honest with you as I'm reading this, I'm just thinking, like, come on, justice for me, like, come on, this is, like, when's it going to be turned around? And, and what Jesus is saying is, it was never about you when you're living like me. That's the catch. That's what love does. Gives away. Again and again and again and again and again with the goal of seeing that person become like him. Two mild people selflessly sacrifice for the good of others. And then number two, two mild people love others like God loves them. We love others like God loves us. Here, Jesus is clearly quoting one of the most quoted uh, statements in the New Testament from Leviticus 19, verse 18, where the law says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And time and time again in the New Testament, like Paul and James and like multiple Jesus, like what are the greatest commandments, Jesus? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says like it can all be summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then what was going on is that, they, that, that that part was well and good. And Jesus is only going to amplify that by his life, showing us what real love looks like. But then it says that you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where is that found in the Bible? That's right. It's not found in the Bible. Nowhere. And so what happened was people took bits and pieces of of, 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 of their experience and, and their... Like, so this is an expression of the wickedness of our human hearts. It says like, hey, love my neighbor, but hate my enemy. Someone opposes me, I'm going to oppose them right back. But the way of Jesus is to love our enemies and not only to love them, but also in loving them, praying for them. You see, you know, and I just want you to think about, I just want you to think about your home life. I just want you to think about your work life. I just want to think, you to think about your relationships. We're all comfortable with loving those who love us, right? I mean, this is what Jesus said. For if you love those who love you, and so if you like, Hey, Pastor Tanner, you got some nice swag today. I see those shoes. Oh, now you got swag. I like your swag. You looking good today too. You know, it's just like, 
Oh, you smoked that project at work. Way to go. Man, bosses is just mm, so proud of you. Oh, you did to me. Your project, it was just, man, you just... You're doing your thing, man. I'm just trying to be like you. You know, it's just like you're just returning it, right? Because, like, love you. You're loving them. Scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Stab me in the back. I'll take a bullet for you. That, that's the way of Jesus. Stab me in the back. I'll take a bullet for you. And so, so Jesus says, love your enemies. Love them. Love them. And pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who dog you. Pray for those who talk bad about you. Pray for those who do you wrong. And again, I love this. I just love, like, we just have to look deep into the Scripture. We have to look deep into the heart of God to see the wisdom, the absolute wisdom of Jesus here. Why is this so amazing? I love this. When we pray for those who persecute us, let me just touch the ground, right? When we pray for those who are persecuting us, what's going on? We're humbling ourselves before God. And we are remembering who we were. God, I was your enemy. God, I had no business, no business being loved by you. And what is sincere prayer? Prayer, like, if prayer is just like something you do because someone said pray? And it's something less than looking into the very face of God himself? I just want to say in love, we're not praying. Prayer is looking into the face of God. And as we look into the face of God... We see who he is and who we are. And then what we see changes us to be like him. So do you see the wisdom of Jesus here? He says, pray for those who persecute you. And as you're praying, then I will make you like me. And you actually want to love your enemy. I hope you see that. Amazing. So we reflect the heart of of God who loves his enemies every single day. This This is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, look, as you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, then you're sons of your Father in heaven. You're reflecting his image. You're showing the world the light of God. And then he gives a couple of illustrations. He says, hey, even God causes his son to rise on the good and the evil. And he makes rain fall on the just and the unjust. This is called the common grace of God. Everyone, whether they believe in God or not, experiences his kindness and his grace to them. I mean, we all want to ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But how many people are asking why good things happen to bad people? 
And yet, yet God, is, God is kind. He is benevolent. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And so we, we, we remember that, that God is, is constantly pouring out his love on all people. And he's welcoming us back home through the cross. Once again, we just can't get away from the cross. Jesus dying in our place, fundamentally dying for those who spat upon him, who mocked him, who put a crown of thorns, we sing about it, on his head, who beat him, who flogged him, almost killed him by the flogging, and then hang him on a Roman cross to watch him suffocate as he bleeds. And Jesus on that cross says, Father, forgive them. We love like God has loved us. And this echo, what we, what we see here in verses 46 and 7, it really gets back to what I was saying a minute ago about why would we do this, right? Is that, that when, we, when we love those who love us, we're no different than a tax collector who does not know God. When we greet just the people who greet us back, we're no different than the pagans who worship other gods. But when we love those who hate us and we greet those who want nothing to do with us, then we're showing them that there's something different about us, there's something distinct about us. And again, we're shining that light, the light of Christ, everywhere we go. So I just want to ask you this morning, how can you be a two-mile Christian? How can you be a part of a two-mile church? Who can you surprise by going two miles? What can you do in your home? How can you go the second mile in your family, to your spouse, with your children, in your friendships? When you punch the clock today or tomorrow, how can you go the second mile? Who is it in the workplace that is difficult to love? Let's just be honest. Some people are difficult to love. Not us, but you know, some people are difficult to love. And so like, who is it that God is saying, them, two miles? Your, your community group. How can you go a second mile for someone in your group. Maybe there's a need. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's a burden. Maybe there's a spiritual burden. Who, who can you go two miles with? Maybe it's your surf team. Maybe it's a surf team that you serve on at Redemption Hill. Who's going to call the director and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to serve. If you need me twice this month, I'm going to go from one time to two times this month. I love what I saw yesterday at our Thanksgiving meal giveaway. I forgot to give uh, props to that. In fact, Judy, can you throw back up the boom? There's Judy. Nice work. Um, so, so, so we, we gathered at the community center, and we packed up 140 meals, 
And then we went around our city and we distributed 140 meals. And as we were gathering up into our groups, what I saw as I was driving by, I saw that one car was loaded down. It looked like there were 20 bags in there. It turns out there were 12. But this group of three doubled up. We needed one group to double up. This one group said, hey, instead of us taking six, we're going to go 12. They went the second mile. Opportunities abound for us to, listen, I love that. Like, let's just have like, can we just have an attitude that says like, let me double that. Let me do it again. In Christ, in Christ, there are no mile markers. It's not about the second mile. If Jesus stopped at two, we'd be in trouble because we needed him to go further than two. The third, the fourth, the thousand, the five thousand, the five million, the five. You get it. You get it. And let me just say this. This happens when we love people more than money, more than our own comfort, and more than our even own safety. How can we love our enemies when we love them more than we love ourselves? How can we go to second mile when we trust God more than we trust what's in our bank account? It's the grace of God building all of this in us. It's only by grace that we'll keep running, that we'll keep serving, that we'll keep loving, that we'll keep giving generously to those around us. And so Jesus sums it all up. And and by the way, this statement here in verse 48 is, is really not just for these two ideas, but it's for what everything that he said about anger and lust and and divorce and, and our word. He says in verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so the last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Two-mile people make God their standard, not other people. Two-mile people make God their standard, not other people. When Jesus uses the word perfect, he is talking about someone who is mature and complete. They're they're whole. Uh, It's not that we are without flaw. What he's talking about is someone that that has grown into maturity where they are consistently reflecting the character of God in everything they say and do and think and want and love. And so I think what we need to hear today is that God must be our standard. God must be our standard. God must be our standard. And what this means then, by necessity, if God is our standard, is that other people are not. I mean, remember verse 20, exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees. It was all about comparison and how we can look good in the sight of other people. And Jesus says, the Pharisees are not your standard. No one else is your standard. Hey, listen, not even Pastor Reddy. Pastor Reddy, you know, Pastor Reddy's just a lot wiser than I am. 
and Pastor Jeff. Hey, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> uh. It's true, it's true. I'm not backtracking, ready. You are. You're much wiser. Amongst other things. <laughs> but, 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 but you know this, right? You know this. We live in an image-based society. And we're flooded with images all around. I mean, this is the reason why some of us need to just take a break from social media for a while. Because we're constantly comparing ourselves against other people what they have, what they look like, how they dress, how successful they are. Like anything that we desire under the sun, we just, we're looking, we're comparing, we're, we're processing who we are compared to who they are. And as Chip Judd, a, a counseling, biblical counselor, he, he says that comparison is the root of all inferiority. And so I just want to speak into this for a minute. When we compare ourselves to others, this is, this is what's going on, okay? Number one, we're forgetting our identity. And what I mean by that is we're forgetting our identity in Christ. We're forgetting who God says we are. We're loved, we're forgiven. We've been lavished grace upon. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted into the family of God. Everything that we could ever dream being true of us, God says is true of us in Christ. There's nothing that we don't have in Christ. This is our new identity if we follow Jesus. And yet, rather than remembering who I am in Christ and that there is no one like me and that God has made me unique and that God has a call on my life that is different than everyone else's call and I don't have to be them. I just need to run in my lane and be who God has made Tanner Turley to be. I start comparing and, and then that, that forgetting my identity then leads to insecurity. And we think like when we don't we don't feel secure in who we are before God, then, then we, we feel vulnerable and we feel like we're we're not enough and we feel like we need more and we want to be like person X, Y, or Z and and then that, that insecurity then manifests itself in jealousy. Why, why are you jealous of people? Because you're insecure. Why are you insecure? It's because you forgot your identity. God is the standard, not people. And our jealousy reveals our idolatry. Because in those moments, we're saying, God, my life is not like their life. When God has called me not to their life, but his life. If you want to be freed from this, you come to Christ. You come again and again and again and again. God is our standard. As some have said, we are what we behold. 
And so as we behold God, as we keep looking to him, as we keep opening up his book to see his heart, to know what he wants for us and from us, as we keep praying, as we keep spending time with him day after day after day, as we keep worshiping, as we keep doing all that he's called us to do, as we keep being satisfied in who he's made us to be, running in our lane, oh, then we can be free. And that's what I love about this. Don't miss this. This is what I love about this verse, okay? We read verse 48, and honestly, we just kind of like, I don't understand that. I'm moving on to chapter 6. Be perfect? Be perfect? Really, God? How is this any different than be holy for I am holy? How is this any different than love them like I have loved you? How is this any different than forgive them as I have forgiven you? And so while this may, like we're telling, like, oh, God, don't ask me to be perfect. I can never be perfect. When we, when we get it, when we understand that he's our standard, that forces us to say, I can't, but God, you can do it in me. We just come to him again and again and again. And it brings ultimate freedom, ultimate freedom. God, just keep making me who you want me to be in Christ. Just keep changing me into the image of Jesus from one degree to the next. This is what we're invited into when we make God our standard, not other people. So I just want to ask you as the, the music team comes up and I lead us in a time of prayer, who can you surprise by going two miles? Well, what's the, who's the one person that maybe even the Holy Spirit right now would say, hey, them this week. Love them, serve them, forgive them. Give them your best. Who is God? And, and here's the thing. You just pray that prayer, and this is what I love about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Like when we really receive it, then, then what happens is that God just will give you opportunity after opportunity after, like when we're sincere and our heart is soft before God. And so let's pray and let's ask God to move us out to be like Jesus, selflessly sacrificing for the good of others, that we might go two miles and watch them be surprised into the love of God themselves. Let's pray. Father, would you do it in us? Because, God, we do not have it in ourselves. We can never love someone like you've loved us. We can never forgive someone as you have forgiven us. We can never give someone our best without recognizing that we have been given everything in Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you show us the people around us that you're calling us to love? God, would you show us how we can love our family, love our friends, love our coworkers, love our neighbors with your love? That not only this church would continue to look more and more and more like you, God, but that our city would be changed and more and more people would discover the fierce and freeing love of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.